Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. All right. Well, I'm so, you know what I'm going to say next? Excited. I'm always excited. You guys, I feel like I'm a broken record when I get up and I talk about it. But I was thinking, how can I explain what it feels like when when you know you've got a message that that the Holy Spirit gave you? And I want to ask you, how many of you have ever put on a shirt backwards? You put the shirt on, and like the neck is like pushing against your Adam's apple, and the, the arms are kind of like pointing your arms the other direction. And you're like, I think I got this on wrong. And then you turn it around, and you slide in, and it's like, yeah. I, sometimes as I'm praying, this week, as I was looking through the message, there were a couple of things I thought, well, maybe I'll do this. And it was like I put my shirt on backwards. But each time when I came back to this topic, it just, I know that God is going to use this. To speak. I don't know who you are. I don't know which one of you it is. I don't know if it's everyone or just some of you. But I know that this is the message that God has for some of you today. Um, and I'm titling it, Your Work, Your Calling. Now, when somebody hears the word calling, what comes to mind? For many people, the calling is like that mysterious other thing that you're really supposed to be doing. It's like there's life and then there's your calling. Have you discovered your calling? Are you in your calling? Are you doing, you know, because we have this idea that the calling is like this spiritual unicorn that some people find and other people will never be graced to know. Or other people have their calling imagined as if, if I had my calling then I would never work another day in my life because whatever I did would just be my calling. And it would be so fulfilling, so perfect, that I would never feel challenged, frustrated, or anything like it. Now, Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is God describing his creation, before they fell. This was before they fell. And he said that they were made in his image for the purpose of ruling. And he told them to subdue the earth. He gave them chores before the curse. They had jobs to do. We have been given work. Acts 17.27 is one of my my favorite verses. We've talked about it before. Paul describes to a group of people who don't have any idea who God is, who God is, what God did, and why God did it. And he says in verse 27 that God had created all the words and he described what God did. And in verse 27 he says, he did this so that they would seek him. 
What is our purpose? What were we built for? We were built to seek relationship with God. We were created to be image bearers of Christ, to reflect who he is and what he's like. And we were created to rule and to subdue the... We were created for work. We had chores before the curse. Sometimes people get the idea that work is a part of the curse. Work was affected by the curse, and we're going to talk about that later. But here's the question. Why do you work? How many of you have a job? Now, how many of you work? I'm hoping every hand went up on that. Whether what you have is called a job or not, like, you work. Why do I go to work? There's the famous saying, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. But what if you don't owe? What if you didn't owe anyone? What if you were just handed a credit card and they said, you know what, Elon Musk is going to pay it all the time. You just, you don't need to work for money ever again. Would, would you stop working? You're, so I wrote a poem a while back about why we work. So here we go. What is in a paycheck? Why is it so pursued? There is obviously something deeper than needing it for food. Some parts of what I do I really do enjoy. Sometimes I'm like a kid who just got a new toy. But fun is not the reason that I work each day. If it was the reason, I'd have long since walked away. Sometimes my work feels just like a chore. So what is the reason I'm doing it for? I get up in the morning when what I want is sleep. My motive is more than money. It's not just because I'm cheap. Money pays the bills and it keeps the cold outside. My, but seeking not but dollars is a disappointing ride. Many folks got rich and much to their surprise found riches are not where true fulfillment lies. We think we go to work to fill our purse with money, but that is not the reason. No, I am not being funny. No one wants a dollar because it looks so nice. We all want something else and the dollar is the price. We trade our time for money, and then we start to spend. But when we make a purchase, the trading didn't end. When I want a hole, they don't sell them at the store. So though I do not want it, I buy one item more. I act as if I want a drill and a drill bit. But what I really want is what I'll make with it. The thing that drives me on to earn another check isn't dreams of better cars that someday I might wreck. My paycheck is a tool with which to show my love. It gives my hope a skin like fingers in a glove. The money I have earned will make a better life for the woman that I love, the one I call my wife. I trade my sweat and blood for dollars, that is true. I do it for my family, a form of I love you. I want the best for them, I hope that they can see. The reason that I work, it isn't just for me. When things at work get hard and I need motivation, my wife and my kids are my inspiration. The people that I love are the reason that I work. They are the inspiration for laziness to shirk. 
No one on their deathbed longs for cash and coin. Instead, it is their family they wish that they could join. I work each day for money, but not for its own sake. I work each day for tools a loving family to make. Now, how many of you can resonate with that? You work for a purpose. You work... One of my favorite little lines there is, no one wants a dollar just because it looks so nice. We all want something else, and the dollar is the price. Realize, as much as we say we want money, as much as we think we'd like to have money, money stinks. Have you ever held a wad of cash and like, oh, you think, oh, yeah, you know, the cartoons, they make it look, and you, you spray, it reeks. Like, that stuff is dirty. If you've ever re read any of the stuff, they do it all the time. Some people, even like classes will do that, and they'll take a dollar and they'll put it in a Petri dish and see what grows. It's scary stuff. Like, money is, is dirty. Money is stinky. Money is not that impressive. But we all want money because there's so many things that we can acquire with it. There's something else that we're going for. And in, in, in that rhyme, I was focusing on the purpose that we find in, in building a family and growing and fulfilling that call that God said. But it goes beyond that. Because not everyone is called. Paul talks about people who, who are, have a gift of singleness, who aren't called to raise children or have a spouse. Does that mean they don't have purpose? Absolutely not. God has given us purpose that goes beyond just our family. Now, I, I didn't bother to look up what year it was, but how many of you have ever seen the cartoon Wally? All right, all of you guys who have little kids. Those of you who haven't, and I don't know, it's been 10 years ago, something along those lines. This was a cartoon that came out, and the, the, the storyline is this, that the earth got contaminated, some kind of mess, and so the, the humans had to jump on a spaceship and leave. And there's this little robot that's left behind, and he's cleaning up the mess for like 500 years. And meanwhile, the, the spaceship with people on it are send back probes every once in a while to see if there's any life on Earth yet. And in this, there's a situation where a, a plant has begun to grow again on the Earth. And the little robot that has been there all this time goes up and sees the people who have been living on this spaceship that had all of their needs provided for them. And in the, the, the film, you see these people who have everything they could possibly want just at their fingertips. And, and you hear the, the narration go on about how they're happy, how everything they could possibly want to be happy is right there. I think I pulled one picture from it. And you see them. They've got their little chairs. There's a little robot in the middle. And he's, he's there. And they're talking to each other on their little screens. And if you look at it, it actually feels surprisingly dehumanizing. Because in another scene, you actually see them sitting there playing tennis, but the robots are playing tennis for them, and they're just, they're just there. 
And we instinctively, as humans, when we see this, this image, we realize there is something not right about an existence. No matter how, many, how much all of our needs might be fulfilled, there's something missing from an existence where we don't do anything. And these, these people, they're friendly, they're polite, they're kind, but there's something missing that they were created for. And this, this storyline, it's, it's not a Christian film, but it ends with them getting back to earth and you see that they, they, they come out and, and they, they see that there is a job before them to do, to, to begin to repopulate and to cultivate and to do all of this. And, and there's this sense of understanding as you're watching that, wow, they're finally fulfilling their purpose. We as people were not created to just have our needs met. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 says this, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Now, I have misquoted this verse before. I have misquoted it saying, he who doesn't work doesn't eat. But it doesn't say that. It says, he who is unwilling. There are people, because of situations, who cannot. They would like to. It's not talking about them. The Bible actually says, if you are unwilling to work, See, the reason that that isn't scandalous is because we understand we were created for that purpose. We are created to contribute. And it's not a comparison game. It's not, and the one whose work is of more value should then get... No, it says, he who doesn't work or is unwilling to work shall not eat. We are called... To work. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Again, that is before the fall. They were put there before the fall to do work. There's a story. Um, there are many versions of it, but in, in 1671, so... 400 almost years ago, Christopher Wren observed three bricklayers who were building, working on a cathedral. And it says, one half standing and one standing tall, working very hard and fast. To the first bricklayer, Christopher Wren asked the question, what are you doing? To which the bricklayer replied, I'm a bricklayer. I'm working hard laying bricks to feed my family. The second bricklayer responded, I'm a builder. I'm building a wall. But the third bricklayer, the most productive of the three, and the future leader of the group, when asked the question, what are you doing, replied with a gleam in his eye, I am a cathedral builder. I am building a great cathedral to the Almighty. And if you know the history, it took over a hundred years for that cathedral to be finished. But there were people working at it who saw their role just I'm here to get food for me and my family. 
or I'm here to create this wall. They saw part of the vision. And then there was the man who recognized he was a part of something big. He recognized, I am here. And the key, in my opinion, is when he says, I am here for the Almighty. For the Almighty. The key to our calling is who we are working for. So many people, I talked at the beginning, think, oh, my, my calling is this mysterious thing that when I find the thing, and I want to, I want to shift your thinking. I don't believe that you discover your calling when you find the thing. I believe you discover your calling when you find the one. When you are doing it for God, Whatever you lay your hand to becomes your calling, is anointed by God. It is seen by him as precious and for him, as a offering to him. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, whatever you do, say that with me, whatever, whatever, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for human masters. And since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. A woman by the name of Dorothy Sayers said this, said, let the church remember this, that every maker and worker is called to serve God in his or her profession or trade, not outside of it. The only Christian work is good work, well done. We have here plumbers, we have waiters, we have electricians, we have engineers, we have stay-at-home mothers, we may have stay-at-home fathers, we have all kinds of different workers. What makes that work valuable to the Lord? That it is done for him. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. You can be anointed to lay carpet. You can be anointed to serve tables. You can be anointed to crunch numbers. You can be anointed to watch children. I don't know what it is that you do, but I want you to realize you can be anointed to do that thing. I am not saying that that is the only thing you will ever do for the rest of your life. But as long as that is the thing that you are doing, do it as unto the Lord, and it is a sweet sacrifice to him. He sees that. He longs to be a priority in your life when we do this for him. Work is not a result of the fall. As we said before, it was impacted by the fall. Genesis 3, 17 through 19 says, To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree which, about which I commanded you, you must not 
eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now, it's interesting. When we think about the curse, a lot of people focus on the fact that they're going to have to work. But we already noticed that work was there before the curse. You want to know what wasn't there before the curse? And you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Do you realize Adam and Eve weren't going to die? And when we look in the end of prophecy and we see what the world is going to look like again, it will be inhabited again by us in our glorified bodies, working, ruling with him, taking dominion here on the earth again without death. Now, yes, there is an element of the pain and toil that, that is a part of the curse. But it's not work. This idea that somehow it's unspiritual to work. If we look back in, in church history, we see people who, who thought that the lack of doing things was somehow spiritual. And, and these monks would prove their spirituality by like just sitting in one spot for a decade or two and do nothing and set them... Ah, I'm really spiritual. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. How, what was he doing that he was doing unto the Lord? No. Listen, there is an element of frustration. There is an element of toil. You will... Have frustrating obstacles in your work. How many have ever had frustrating obstacles at work? You will have frustrating people at work. Don't raise your hand too high. <laughs> but how many of you have encountered frustrating people? Whether you're working with them, for them, or, or with them. There will be frustrating situations. But look at what 1 Corinthians 10, 12-13 says. So... If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. Now, that word temptation, when you and I think of temptation, we usually think of something like tantalizing and trying to like pull you away. But this, this word can also be translated as test. We could read this as no test or challenge has overtaken you except what is common to man. You know what that says to me? I don't want to insult anyone, but you are not so special that the issues and frustrations that you face, no one else has faced them. This is, this is a lie that the devil tells us. He says no one else has been as frustrated by their boss as you. No one else has been as, as stretched in their position 
as you. No one else has had as many deadlines as you. No one else has had as many setbacks as you. No one else has had any of this. I mean, you are just, you're the only one. And, and so being that you are the only one who has ever, you can totally give up. Because, I mean, nobody else has to deal with this. But this is what he says. He says, no. No test, no challenge, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. Now, it doesn't mean that every single person is dealing with that same one. But you realize there's a, there's a few billion of us out there. And to, to think that our situation is somehow so complex and so difficult that even God has not figured out a solution to this one yet. It is, it is a lie that the devil uses to get people to quit and give up. It says, and God is, say it with me, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or tested or challenged beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, tested, challenged, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There is a way out. Like within what God has provided to us. When, when I was growing up, my parents had a 1986 Ford Bronco four-wheel drive. Now, they, they quit making them a long time ago. It was a fun vehicle. And I remember taking that truck out into state land down the power lines and getting like miles back there and getting stuck. How many of you have ever gotten stuck, like, in the boonies? I mean, it's one thing to be stuck in the snow right next to the road where, like, but, like, have you ever been stuck, like, way out there? And I am like, okay, it's going to take me a long time to get back, just get back to the road. Then I'm going to have to find a ride. This is, you know, before cell phones. I'm like, oh. You know what I wanted? What I wished that I had? A winch. Why? Because a winch is the self-contained assistance that I needed. It's the way out. You can confidently drive through the ditch, the creek, the, the muddy hole. Because why? If, if I do get stuck, all I got to do is grab that winch, I pull it out, I stick it to a tree. Yeah, that, I mean, I'm going to have to get out. I'm going to wade through the mud. I'm gonna, it's it's going to be a challenge. But there is a way out. It's there. I was like chopping down trees and sticking branches under there and doing all kinds of crazy things. Could not get it out by myself. I had to hike out of there bring somebody else, then I learned that either we had to get a winch, which my parents didn't want to get a winch, and it wasn't my truck, and it wasn't worth for, for me to put a, a winch on it. But then I learned later, go with a buddy. So that there's somebody who can pull you out. And when I would come up, whenever I go down, I still, to this day, I like going out on two tracks and, and four-wheeling. I love going out there. But 
like, I think I'm still scarred from that experience. When I see something and I'm just like, you know, is there a, if, if I go in there, can I get myself out? This is what God says. He says he will also provide a way out. He doesn't say there's never going to be challenges. He doesn't say it'll never be difficult and you won't have to deal with obnoxious bosses or different things. He doesn't, no. But he says that you will not be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear and that he will also provide a way out. The gospel contains the power that we need. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 7. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. I just want to go back and I want to read this verse again, just thinking about what it's saying and what it means. For we know, brothers and sisters, he's talking to other people in the Lord. You're loved by God. How many of you know? You're loved by God. And he has chosen you. Say it with me. He chose me. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words. The gospel is more than just words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep convictions. You know how we lived among you for your sake. He says, remember what you saw in the way that we lived when we were there. And how you imitated the way we lived. And as we imitate, there's another verse where Paul says, to imitate me as I imitate Christ. So he says, you were imitators of us and of the Lord. Because they were trying to imitate God. What were they? Image bearers. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. It wasn't all paradise and candy. It wasn't all perfect. It says, in the midst of suffering, with the joy, wait a minute, there was suffering and then there was joy given by the Holy Spirit. When I think of the word happiness, I think of reaction to circumstances. I'm happy. Why? It's my birthday. Happy birthday. My situation is good, therefore I'm happy. But joy, the Bible talks about the joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy can exist independent of the situation. The Bible describes the gospel as containing power and the Holy Spirit's presence and conviction. And he says, even in the midst of great suffering, didn't just say suffering, it said great suffering. Did you see that? Great suffering. 
Now, we also know it's not so great that you're the only person who ever experienced it. But it's great. In the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. A couple of verses later, verse 10 through 13, it says, And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. How many of you recognize it's, it's a Christian thing to do to be loving? It says love. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands. Anybody know that verse was in there? Mind your own business and work with your hands. When, when I was, I'm going to get on a rabbit trail. But when I was a kid, my buddies and I created like a code with verse scriptures. And we would reference things with, with a verse. And it'd be like, you know, we'd name a verse and then they would be like, oh yeah, we know. This one, mind your own business. That'd be 411 or 412. Oh well, no, it's 411. 411. First Thessalonians, 411. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as you were told. Verse 12. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Why are we to work with our hands and mind our own business? It says that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. There are two ditches that, and I've said this before, but when God gives us a path, the devil wants to knock you off of that path. He doesn't care which ditch you end up in. So God says, yes, work with your hands. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. And the devil comes along and says, we'll see about that. What can I do? One side he can knock you off into would be workaholism. Luke 12, 16 through 20. And Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, ah, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This man made the mistake of thinking that his work had no eternal value. He saw it just for himself. He's like, what can I do? More. More. And he got some more, and he's like, what am I to do with my more? I'm going to get more with my more. More, 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 more. And God said, no, that was foolish. You failed to recognize that there is a goal beyond yourself for what you, you bring in. And, and I don't have time to go down this side, but the Bible talks about, let those who are rich understand. And we've talked about this before. If we look globally, 
we're rich. If you have a house to stay in, you're rich. If you have a car, woo, you're rich. If your car has a house, woo, you're rich. <laughs> we are so blessed. We are so blessed. But there is a calling, there is a purpose, I'll say, to the blessing that God has given us. And this person misunderstood. Workaholism comes when we don't recognize that divine purpose for our achievements. When we think, oh, God is blessing me just for me. That's it. No. No, we can look in Scripture. God did bless people. But we're blessed to be a blessing. And it's not wrong to enjoy the blessing as it flows through us. Nothing wrong with it. When I see people with nice cars, I don't think, oh, what a selfish person. No, I'm awesome. Congratulations. When I, I, I've known enough to see I've, some of the most wealthy people that I have, have known are some of the most generous people that I have known. Not all of them, but many. And I have learned that, that the whole idea of, of judging people because of what they have or don't have, that's just dumb. That's just dumb. My dad tells the story of, of driving through Grand Rapids when he was a kid. And, and, and you know, they came from a middle class, lower middle class family. They had a home. They had, a, you know, they had what they needed, but they would drive through East Grand Rapids and see all these mansions and really big places. And he, and he talks about how his father would, you know, when the kids would look, oh, look at that house. First thing he'd say is, yeah, but I bet you they're unhappy and they're probably getting a divorce and they're probably not. <clears throat> like, he could not see someone blessed without somehow being irritated. That's not, that's, not, that's not healthy. That's not right. We are called to be a blessing to bless others. Now, the one extreme is the workaholism. When we begin to think that nothing matters beyond what we can accumulate and how much we can work, and I don't have any value outside of my work. The other extreme Proverbs calls it slothfulness. Proverbs 20, verse 4 says, Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. To translate to today, that means the, the, the sluggard doesn't go to work. And then on payday, he wonders why the check didn't come. He wasn't willing to work. He thought it should all just show up one way or another. Proverbs 12, 24 says this, The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. And I, I thought about this, and it reminded me of how I talk to my kids. And I try to tell them 
that things change as you get older. When you're younger, you get upset with somebody, you can just smack them. When you're in kindergarten, how much trouble do you get in? Not much. You sit in the corner for 60 seconds or, or whatever. As an 18-year-old, if you get upset with someone and you smack them, what do they call that? Aggravated assault. You can serve prison time. How many realize? Like, we, we need to learn these lessons as a kid because the consequences, they get harder. The Bible says the person who is diligent will rule. When you are diligent in your work, what does that mean? God's principle to whom who is faithful little will be faithful with much, to whom who has been faithful with little will be given much. When you are diligent with little, you will get more, and you will, you will naturally be given responsibility and leadership. If you don't work, eventually you will be forced to. The less work you do, the more likely you are to be in a situation where it is forced on you. A lot of people look at, at it, within a company, they'll look at the, the, the leaders and say to themselves, well, what, you know, how come, how come they don't have to punch in at exactly 801? And how come they don't have to punch out at exactly, you know, 459? Why isn't someone watching their hours? Probably because back when people were watching their hours, they were there before 8 o'clock and they were there after 5. They were diligent, and so they ruled. The, the person who has a supervisor over their shoulder, do, do, do this, do that, do that. What, why, do they, why are they being forced? Because at some time in the past, or perhaps, and if they're, they're new to the workforce, maybe they haven't proven it yet, but so far they have not proven that they would work without being obligated. You know, our prison system is a little different than it used to be. But you know what people used to do in work, in prison? Work. Work. You tried to get by by taking other people's stuff and not working for it? Well, now you go to jail and you work. And you don't get paid. 1 Corinthians 3.13. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what they have had, what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, yet, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through flames. What does this describe? It says our work, our effort, in the end, will be judged. Now, listen to this, Okay. Is it by works that I'm saved? No. No, the Bible is very clear. I am saved by grace, through faith. I am saved even if I didn't deserve it, if I trust in the free gift of forgiveness. But our works will be tested. And it's interesting if it's burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved. 
You can get to heaven with empty pockets. You can make it. And you can arrive and discover that someone else received a reward that you didn't. Heaven is not a communist compound. It isn't. The Bible is very clear that there is reward for those who, what did we say before? Who worked as unto the Lord. Do you guys remember the parable? I need to to wrap things up, but Matthew 25, 34, then the king will say to those on my right, come, you who are blessed by my father, come take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes or cl- and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. When we serve, we are fulfilling our purpose when we serve for him. The Bible says that when we serve the least of these, I don't know what company you work for. I don't know who their clients are. But in one way or another, they qualify to be at least the least of these. You work at McDonald's, the people showing up are, at minimum, the least of these. You work for a restaurant, you're a plumber, you're an architect, you're an engineer the least of these, or better. Everyone that you have the opportunity to serve, Jesus looks and says, when you do, when you serve them, service isn't just serving them. We, according to God, are serving him. I I was talking with Bob here this week, and Bob was telling me about working at, at the place he's at, which is Arby's. And he said, they have secret shoppers who come and show up and we get graded on how they did. He says, also, sometimes they just, someone from corporate just hops on the security system and just watches. And we have video visits, they call it, where they get graded on things like how friendly were they and did they demonstrate a sense of urgency? Did... Did what they did for that one customer seem to matter to them? Or was that person, yeah, whatever. And I just, he, he described that to me and he was talking about, you know, what had happened when, they, when, when he was hit with these video visits and the secret shoppers and, and how that was going and how it was usually going pretty good. And I got to thinking about... Hebrews 13.2, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And I thought, we got secret shoppers out there, guys. Team Res Life, I'm just letting you know. Okay, we're going to get out there. We're going to serve in whatever role we have as unto the Lord, recognizing that just like a video visit, The eyes of the Bible says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro, watching over the righteous and the unrighteous. God is watching all the time. Not to mention the possibility of secret shopper angels. 
who are looking to see if we serve them with hospitality. The Bible says that when we serve even the least of these, we have served him. Eternity isn't a giant slouch fest. We're not going to go up to heaven and then finally, oh, no more work. The Bible actually describes that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and he's going to bring the new Jerusalem from heaven and put it here on earth. And then he says that we are going to rule and reign with him. We're going to be on earth working without the curse. But we will be active. Why? Because we have been created for that purpose. To serve. To tend. To subdue. To cultivate. To make value out of things that are disorganized and don't have value. You have been called. You have a purpose. How many of you recognize that, that as I said before, we can't earn God's forgiveness. He gives that freely. We can earn a reward. But his forgiveness is free. How many of you know that you've been forgiven? Every hand up. With your eyes closed, just a moment. If there's anyone here who says, I don't know where I stand with God. I hope I'm forgiven. I hope that I'm good. <clears throat> I'm not sure. I might have been. I'm not sure if I, but I'm not sure I am. I don't know where I stand. And you want to be confident of where you stand. The Bible says, know that you have salvation. With every eye closed, I'm just going to invite you. If you would like to know, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. We make him the Lord of our life. If that's you and you desire to know, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and we'll pray together. I see one hand and I know there may be others watching online. I invite all of you to join with me. Say it with me. Say, dear God, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, that you rose from the dead. I accept your forgiveness. I choose to live for you. Help me to grow in my relationship with you, in my understanding of your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If that was you, come on down front at the end of service. I have a gift I'd like to give you, a little booklet. If you're watching online, please come right on one of the, the uh, videos you're watching or even in a direct message, and we will send you an electronic link 